All right, good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's a Wednesday. Yep, November 2nd. We are well into the holiday season, amazingly enough. And so Pastor Paul here, thanks for joining us for Romans Rewind. Of course, I'm wearing my University of Tennessee big orange Rocky Top hat this morning to celebrate our ascendry into the number one spot in the college football playoff ranking system. Now, we understand this won't last. It never does. College football is like the unfaithful girlfriend that you entrust yourself to again and again, and she only breaks your heart. But we're going to enjoy the ride while it lasts. But we have much more important eternal things to talk about this morning. We've been in Romans 13 and 14 for the last several weeks talking about the role of government and politics in the life of the believer and what we are to do when we disagree about um, a whole host of spiritual issues. But clearly one of those that Christians are particularly at odds, not of the same mind about um, in our in our current milieu cultural context is politics, how to vote, how not to vote, how do we look at political parties, how do we politically engage, and what do we do when we disagree? Who's the weaker brother? Who's the stronger brother? What does it mean to live at peace with all men, to, to walk in harmony as the body of Christ? So it's a really relevant topic, is particularly relevant this season. We're heading into an election here in less than a week, the midterm elections. And as usual, a lot is at stake, depending upon how you look at these things. And we said, we're going to really spend this, these next several devotional times taking a deep dive into this world. Now, yesterday, I outlined what are sort of five kind of models or five ways to think about the way Christians are to engage their culture and the political process. And I gave an overview of those. I briefly touched on some strengths and weaknesses. And then I mentioned that what I wanted to talk about next today was the issue of voting and how we are to, to think about voting in light of our identity as Christians, uh, the fact that we live in a fallen world, that, um, you know, how do, we, how do we weigh things like a candidate's character versus a candidate's policy positions? And as I was thinking about this and, and thinking about how I wanted to answer this, I thought, you know, if I don't go back and spend a little bit more time on our discussions from yesterday, then what I say today might be a little more confusing. And so what I want to do is just quickly hit on these various positions and offer what I think is a critique. I want to tell you where, where I solidly land on this question of how we engage, because I think that's going to explain to you sort of my take context for how I think about for example, voting and engaging the political process. If I if I don't, if I'm not super clear here, crystal clear, then I think it's going to generate more confusion. And as always, email your questions, paul.gilbert at fouroakschurch.com. So so five models for the way Christians are to engage culture in the political process. And the first we talked about was this idea that that the church or or Christians are to be radically separated from the culture that they're in. They need to establish their own identity. Um, they don't need to, to mingle. We think about the Amish. Um, there are modern day versions of this where 
people want to say, um, we, we need to be more focused on our Christian community identity and don't contaminate ourselves to the political process. Let's don't vote. Let's don't engage. And, and, and my primary critique there, although I'm not unsympathetic to some of that because the church, every time it ventures into these things, um, obviously runs great risk of being contaminated, polluted by the culture, um, there does seem to be a biblical mandate to be salt and light. There does seem to be a biblical mandate, not when I seem, I, I believe there's a biblical mandate to be salt and light. I think there's a biblical mandate to love our neighbors. I think there's a biblical mandate to live for the welfare of the city, the nation that we are in as Christians. So, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a prime example of this. Jeremiah's words to the Babylonian exiles, Israelite exiles in Babylon to live for the good of the city. Romans 13 clearly denotes this idea of having a relationship with the culture and the government around us. And so when I, I, I do not gravitate to that Christ or church separated from culture. There's a second position, um, which we talked about as the culture sort of um, consuming or subsuming the church. And here, this is more of a progressive liberal idea that it's sort of Christian nationalism in reverse. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. It's this idea that, you know, that, that Christians in the church, that's mainly a private religion, right? It's private, not for the public sphere, that we are more engaging. We aren't, we aren't separated from the world. In fact, we're so immersed in the world, um, there's really not a lot to identify us, uh, to mark us out as distinctive. And we are sort of being, you know, playing nice to get along. And I think the, the and that would be the culture over Christ. And I think the problem with that, I think obviously is you lose the gospel um, you lose any sort of influence. You because remember there are going to be some set of values imposed in the public square, Christian, secular, atheistic, um, progressive, or or otherwise. And I don't think that religion or Christianity is a worldview that's meant to be merely a private affair that governs our our moral conduct, but little else. Right? It's meant to be. Um, it's meant to be a shaper and an, an influencer, a guide to how we view and engage the world. So, so, so culture over Christ, I don't think is, is, a, is a faithful model. Now, this idea of Christ over culture, um, which would be, you know, the church has a national identity, something like we would see in the Old Testament with the Israelites. Roman Catholicism has functioned this way through the centuries as the official religion of the Western Empire, Islam, the Caliphate, um, you know, uh, Sharia law, these are all, all, all extreme examples of this. And again, I think that, that ignores what Jesus says, that my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus doesn't mean that he's not building his kingdom in this world. But what I think Jesus means is that the, he, the Christian nation identity I've uh, you know label um, subscribe to um, that fact that God's God's earthly rule or God's rule in his kingdom is going to be established through an earthly government 
that seems to run counter to everything Jesus says, um, everything he told his followers, everything he told his disciples. And now I do think in heaven, this will be the model. Jesus will be king. There will be no rivals, but that's not where we are. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, the last two models, um, there's the Christ and culture and paradox, and that's the Lutheran position, which basically says that, that the church and culture are living in sort of paradox to one another, that we are members of two kingdoms, and it's, it's good to participate in both kingdoms, but God is doing a distinctly different thing in each of those kingdoms. And we sort of need to render to what, Caesar, to what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. The, the, the problem with this, although I think, and, and by the way, this can be manifested in things like um, pastors never talking about politics, never talking about voting, um, seeing the Christian mission as fully and completely distinct from the political process, although I think there is, there's a lot to commend that way of thinking, I think also, though, it can be very confusing. Even for Luther, um, it's like he, he took a very standoffish approach to the government until he thought it would benefit the reformational movement. And so I think that paradoxical position is a tough one to maintain, and it can be confusing, and it is ambiguous. Now, I believe the fifth position is where I would gravitate to. It's where I think the most scriptural weight and evidence is. And this is the idea of Christ influencing culture or the church influencing culture. This does not mean it's the Calvinistic position. This doesn't mean the establishment of a national Christian state. But what it does mean is that we as believers are bringing our Christian values into the public square. Now, we may have heard a lot about in shaping the political process, okay? Not for the establishment of a church, not for the establishment of a, of a Christian identity for the nation, but understanding that there will be some set of values, some set of worldviews. We're not neutral on those things, not even non-Christians. Christians aren't neutral. Our culture, our government is going to be shaped by something, and so the, the Calvinistic position says, as believers and as living as salt and light, taking every thought captive, engaging the world with the gospel, these are proper spheres for us. Because obviously the gospel um, is going to flourish in contexts where there's an undergirding, right, of that gospel message in our societal institutions. Now, some would say, well, Pastor Paul, that sounds like Christian nationalism. And Jonathan Lehman, I think, has a really good um, descriptor for how we're to, what Christian nationalism is or isn't. And, of course, the, the issue is vocabulary because people mean different things. Sometimes people mean Christian nationalism as an identifier. We need to be a Christian nation. Um, we need to have our identity as, a, as an established church um, that sort of represents all the people, Christians and non-Christians alike. And that, to me, is more of the Christ over culture, Christ over government, and I don't think that is the most biblically faithful model. However, if what we mean by Christian nationalism, and I don't like the term because it's so confusing, if we mean by that influence versus identity, then sign me up, right? I think that is that is a very valid um, um, endeavor for Christians. 
So the fact that we are engaged socially in the political process, that we are bringing our Christian biblical values to the public arena for the common good and the flourishing of the church and the gospel, I think is a valid sphere for us as believers. So I want to make that clear because when I talk about voting, which is going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> when I talk about voting, you need to know that's where I'm coming from, that I don't, I think that it's a good stewardship of our Christian discipleship to vote. I believe that um, our stewardship doesn't require it, okay, to bind anyone's conscience that they have to vote, but I think it's a very valid sphere for honoring Christ, promoting the well-being of society, loving our neighbor, and providing a fertile seedbed for the gospel. So I think engaging the political process. Now, obviously, there are ways that we can do this that are more focused on power, um, power for power's sake, um, that, that we can be contaminated by the political process. Those are all certainly dangers. But here, what I'm talking about is a Christian endeavor um, as living a life as a spiritual act of worship um, where we can be engaged and involved um, for the good of our culture, the good of our neighbor, the good of our church. And I have to say that because the way I answer the question about voting is going to reflect what I just said, okay? And that's where we're going to pick it up tomorrow. What do we do, okay, when there is a collision between a, a, a candidate's character and then their uh, policy positions, when those two things seem to be in conflict. And obviously, I'm going to put this in the camp of opinions, okay, uh, disputable matters, as Paul would say in Romans 14, as, as adiaphora, things indifferent, not that they're unimportant, but that they, but we as Christians are going to come down in different places with them. But because their opinions means we have opinions, and I want to share with you mine. We'll be back tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, I do want to honor you. I do want to um, glorify you. We all do in the way that we carry our gospel witness to the public square. Lord, we don't put our hope in the political process. We don't put our hope in voting. Lord, our only hope is in Jesus Christ, who will one day come and establish his reign here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me end by just saying, pray for your leaders. That's a command of Paul. Pray for um, your, quote-unquote, political opponents. Pray for all the candidates. Pray for the process um, that God's will will be done. That is something clearly is a biblical mandate we can all agree with. All right, thanks so much. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.